Hello, Simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. We're here today with our good friend, Max Lugavere. He's got a new book out. It's called Genius Kitchen. We just did a minimal episode with him. We were talking about kitchen clutter. But today, Max, I want to talk to you about the most minimalist foods. When we talk about well, we talk about minimalism. Here, I'll hold the book up, by the way, if you all are watching the video version of the podcast. This book is out now as of the time this uh, this episode comes out. And it's 300 pages of simple recipes and a bunch of nutrition that you're not going to find anywhere else. So it's different from your conventional cookbook. I think you'd say that. Yeah. I When I wrote it, I wanted to make uh, a kitchen resource and a wellness mm. guide that was going to pass the test of time, not just be a bunch of recipes. Um, I was actually inspired very much by a book called On Food and Cooking. I was reading, I was reading, or somebody gave me On Food and Cooking by a uh, food writer, Harold McGee. It's not as consumer friendly as Genius Kitchen. It's very thick. It's very dense. No photos, no recipes. So it's a, it's a different book than Genius Kitchen. But um, I wanted to write a cookbook that would be uh, that would serve as a recipe guide. But also, if you if you've never heard of me or read any of my previous books would have the core tenets of my nutritional philosophy in it. So, yeah. Yeah. This sort of rounding out the trilogy, right? Yeah. Because you had uh, Genius Life, Genius Foods, and now Genius Kitchen. <laughs> this guy's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm yeah. pumped. The that thing is, great. you have to be really careful with that, right? Because like, it can come off as like, you're trying to say that you're the genius, but that, that wasn't it. It <laughs> no, never, it never comes it. No. off that way with, with you. It's... Hey, here is the the best version of this, and quite often the best version has to do with subtracting. And so we're talking about the most minimalist foods. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that. We got some questions around it as well. I got some tweets of yours that I want to go in on, and we want to check in with our Patreon live stream here in a bit. But when we talk about minimalism, it's often much more about what we get out of our homes or get out of our diets mm. or the relationships we let go of so that we're making room for that health, for that nutrition. Because if you're gorging on empty calories, we all know at this point that a box of Oreos is enough calories in, mm. but it's not just about calories in. Can you help us dispel that notion? Let's start there because we often hear about, well, you know, if you want to lose weight, it's just calories in versus, <laughs> yeah, and we never even stop to talk about macronutrients, micronutrients, et cetera. Yeah, that is a, a good and controversial place to start. Um, so weight weight loss or gain is determined by energy balance. So mm. that that is calories in, calories out. And what that essentially implies is you eat a certain amount of calories every single day, you have a certain calorie budget, right? At which point, if you come under, you're going to lose weight. It's the law of thermodynamics, right? That energy has to come from somewhere. So if you're going to lose weight... If you're, if you're going to come in, if you're going to consume a calorie deficit, then you're going to end up having to draw energy from your fat stores. So that's mm. why a calorie deficit inevitably is going to lead to weight loss and a calorie surplus is going to lead to weight gain. But the problem that I have with calories in, calories out isn't so much the mathematical truth of, of, the, of the statement, but it's, the, it's that it's often passed off as advice. Right. Mm. Even among our still today, the medical and nutritional orthodoxy, the 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 way to lose weight is to, quote unquote, eat less, move more. Right. And that's with the calorie calories in calories out model, energy balance model in mind. But I think that for especially today, 
modern problems require modern solutions. And the modern problem that underpins the obesity epidemic, which by the year 2030, one in two people are going to be not just overweight, but obese. It's because we've inherited a food environment that at at every moment of the day is begging us essentially to overeat. Yeah. And that's because the food environment has become saturated with packaged, ultra-processed, hyper-palatable foods mm. that make it very difficult to for us to moderate our consumption of these foods. And willpower is a finite resource, right? Mm. So you shouldn't have to use your, your willpower every meal of the day so as not to gain weight. But unfortunately, that's what we have to use because these foods drive their own overconsumption right. to the degree that there's a great study published in 2018 funded by the National Institutes of Health, a seminal study in obesity research that found that when you give people unlimited access, un, it's called ad libitum access to a, an ultra processed food diet. By the time they've filled themselves up, they've already over consumed by about 500 calories. Oh, leading wow. to a, a calorie surplus, which if when you, you do, say fill themselves up with adequate nourishment, you're yeah. saying or semi adequate nourishment. Well, it's right? like you, it's like you leave a, you leave a, a a human access, you allow a human access to unlimited food, and you see the point at which they stop. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. that's basically it. You see the point at which they stop eating. They've they've reached a point of satiety, satisfaction from their mm -hmm. food, which is something that we all want. Right, that's called ad libitum feeding. Um, and many, many factors determine that, that point for each of us, right? Like what is the macronutrient composition of the foods that you're eating? What is the fiber content? How hydrated is a person? How well slept are they? But what this study showed unequivocally was that when you give people access to primarily whole foods, minimally processed foods, the kinds of foods that you, that you will cook for yourself, it leads to an effortless calorie deficit of about 300 calories mm. to this and and, and subjects reach the same degree of satiety with that minimally processed food diet. So that's an 800 calorie swing because it was a 500 calorie surplus with ultra processed foods mm -hmm. and a 300 calorie deficit with minimally processed foods. 800 calories right there determined purely by the quality of the food. Mm -hmm. wow. So many people that are, that, that try to moderate their consumption of the food, eat less, move more because calories in calories out is the primary thing that matters, right? They end up trying to moderate how much they're eating. But what I'm saying is that the quality of the food that you're eating dictates how much you'll end up eating. Mm. And trying to control it the other way by eating less of what it is that you're already eating that led to your oversized waistline to begin with, that's putting the cart before the horse and setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And, and I think when we get, you know, when you said that modern problems require modern solutions, I would agree with that. But I would also say that modern problems require ancient solutions. Mm. If mm. you look back to the ancient wisdom or you look at someone, a, a tribe like the Hadza or the Maasai, for example, I think the Hadza are, are particularly fascinating because there's obviously no fat Hadza. Like there aren't fat hunter gatherers, right? And they, even if they're eating, like they will eat absurd amounts of honey when they run into honey like 8,000 calories a day for extended periods of time of just honey and yet they're not like a putting on the winter weight or anything mm -hmm. and so what you realize while I agree I think there are prob there, there's probably something else that we're not seeing at this point where if you can have I mean I probably eat 3,500 calories a day I'm 6'2", 165 mm. now I used to be obese I weighed um 240 when I was a teenager wow. and when I was 12 I weighed 240 in mm. fact so like, I was the fattest kid in school and Ryan and I met we were the two <laughs> fattest kids in school yeah. and so at one point I lost 100 pounds but I did it in a very unhealthy way the way you're talking that about that all people do is 
well, I'll just eat nothing, essentially. Mm. Uh, I'll eat, or I'll do, I did one meal a day, but it was one junk meal a day. I was starving myself. Mm. But guess what? I was sick all the time. Mm. My immune system was not living up to what it could because I didn't have the nutrients in my body. And speaking of nutrients, we have, go to the wide shot, Jordan, no more. If you're watching this on video, you can see we have a bunch of snacks on the table. Downstairs, we have the writer's room, and we have a shared kitchenette with the rest of this office building that we're in. And so I just went down there, and I grabbed all the snacks that we provide for us and our team. And I was hoping maybe you could, you know, I'm in charge of buying some of them. Ryan's in charge of buying the others. Well, really, <laughs> Mallory buys all of them, ultimately. But we we are in charge of the selection here. And I wanted to go through these and and talk about the them as well macronutrients micronutrients would you recommend this as something that is a health conscious food mm-hmm. and when would you eat something like this so we can start wherever you want to start max um yeah where, i think where do you this is go? cool i mean we could, we could talk about the snacks um you know in di- on an individual basis but i think there'll be great jumping off points for a larger discussion about about nutrition yeah um, I think it would be cool to start with a tallow over here, which is kind of interesting. Go ahead and grab it. You can hold um, it up. And yeah. I don't know if there's any. So this is grass-fed beef tallow, rendered beef fat. Now, can um, I tell you when I when I eat this typically? Yeah. Like, it's I will often eat this before. I'll just take a spoonful. We have some disposable wooden spoons downstairs. Wow. or And I will um, just take a spoonful. Why don't you share how it tastes? I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. So. Oh, yeah. It it. It tastes fine. It doesn't taste as good as the ghee, which hopefully we'll go to next, mm. which is just clarified butter, basically. But tallow tastes like, I mean, it's an acquired taste. You're not going to yeah. think it's delicious. However, here's the hack. If you do it with some of that manuka honey we have over there, <laughs> now you have a freaking dessert. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's, that's crazy. That's obviously going to spike your insulin with the honey. But if I eat that, I, I, I'm not spiking my insulin at all. Honey and, is actually fairly... Uh, in, t- in terms of its insulinogenic, insulin, insulinogenic potential, it's actually fairly low because it's got a, a pretty high proportion of fructose, which has a low glycemic mm-hmm. um, impact. Right. Um, and so I, I eat a spoonful of tallow, which gives me some calories. And um, especially if I'm feeling really hungry, like quite often, like if we do these podcasts, if it goes till one o'clock or so and I haven't yeah. eaten in 20 hours, a spoonful of that will... Uh, will will help satiate me. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm. Um, so beef fat. You know, I we before we started rolling, we were talking kind of about the fact that cows are very fatty animals in comparison to wild game, right? Mm-hmm. Certain people have genes that will predis- predispose them to seeing a, 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 a dramatic elevation once they start eating an excessive amount of of animal fat. Now, beef fat, I think, provides a number of there are a number of benefits to using tallow in your cooking, for example, because it's chemically very stable. It's predominantly a saturated fat. So it's it would be better than most um, processed seed or all processed well, it's seed better, oils. Yeah, I would say it's better than any than any processed seed oil, canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil. You would you would want to use this, but this wouldn't be my go to because I and and many others carry genes that. Um, if you again consume an ex- an excess amount of beef fat, you'll see your for example, your LDL lipoprotein um, be elevated, which mm. uh, I'm not anti-LDL. Like there are some in the vegan community that will argue that you're better off driving it as low as humanly possible. Um, but depending on genotype, some people do show an, an, a sort of an, an exaggerated response to having an excessive amount of beef fat in the diet. And cows, as I mentioned, are fattier than 
most wild game and grain finished cows are fattier than grass finished cows and there's also a difference in terms of the of the in terms of their fatty acid composition now grass fed beef fat has a lower proportion of saturated fat and among the saturated fats that it contains it contains a higher proportion of stearic acid which is actually very beneficial um, from the standpoint of mitochondrial health it also has a uh, 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 neutral effect on your lipids. So this is actually a pretty good product from that standpoint. Also, grass-finished beef fat has a higher proportion of omega-3 fatty acids mm-hmm. um, and a higher proportion of vitamin E. It's got three times the vitamin E when compared to grain-fed beef. So I would say that this is a great fat, although it's not something that I would be necessarily eating by the spoonful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I eat a spoonful occasionally. Um, and I'd like to move over to the ghee real yeah. quick because I eat spoonfuls of this every day. Okay. Um, so ghee is clarified butter. So this is organic clarified butter. Mm. This is uh, another this is another fat that I would probably use in in moderation. And I'll explain why. So dairy fat by and large is is quite healthy. There is very um paradoxical evidence that that shows us that uh, full-fat dairy consumption, but not reduced-fat or low-fat dairy consumption, is associated with better cardiometabolic health, mm. which is has surprised nu- nutrition scientists because yeah. there's been this do- this dogma for decades at this point that saturated fat, right, which is the predominant t- kind of fat in dairy, mm-hmm. is associated w- with worse health outcomes. But we actually yeah. see that dairy, full-fat dairy, is associated with better health outcomes, which is great. Yeah, butter is unique among dairy fats. Butter fat is, is unique because to create butter, you churn cream. And in so doing, you disrupt something in dairy fat that shields the fat called milk fat globule membrane. So it's a bit of a mouthful. Hmm. Um, but butter lacks milk fat globule membrane, which is this complex of proteins and phospholipids. And it's, a re- it's, it's, it's thought to be the reason why you can take a person and you could feed them both heavy cream and butter, and on the heavy cream, you'll see no effect on their LDL cholesterol, but the butter will lead to a rise in their LDL cholesterol. Wow. And ghee is basically butter that's mm. been clarified. So it also lacks the milk fat globule membrane, but in creating ghee, you, you add this other wrench into the equation, and they've found in, in research that ghee has a higher proportion of oxidized cholesterol, mm. which is not great. So so that that's the downside, right? Yes. The upside is that it's chemically very stable. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to become mutagenic the way that these grain and seed oils will when when used to cook at high temperatures. It's also very tasty. It's been used in traditional cooking, especially in in parts of the world like India, right? So they might have certain genes that make it totally totally okay. Mm. Um, and it tastes great. And yeah. it's it's the it's it's the appropriate fat in certain dishes like mm. like I love to cook um, liver for example in ghee it's a great mm. fat for cooking mm. liver so um, again it's one of these fats that I would use in moderation I wouldn't necessarily be eating by the by the spoonful um, there are <laughs> there are there are healthier fats I would say mm. okay yeah. let's talk about what some of those healthier fats might be and then also you mentioned cream versus yeah. butter and. Even like regular butter has an immunogenic response in in me, and so that that's why ghee tends to work when other right. other thing like I can't do cream at all yeah. without getting skin rashes or other things like wow. that, and so and I can't do milk even even if it's um, you know whether it's uh, type two cows or whatever. Like I still have the uh, yeah the, I still have a problem with it, and so 
this is the only sort of dairy product that I can have is, is organic yeah, ghee that doesn't have an, an immunogenic response. It's, and it's, it certainly is that. So it's clarified butter. So they skim off whatever remains of the, um, the lactose and the casein. So cream and, and butter are generally pretty low in lactose and casein and ghee is the purest. So there's mm. like virtually none. Right. And I, and I just want to be clear that like it might work for you and you might really enjoy it. So in that case, keep eating it. Like I'm just kind of laying out the caveats that might exist for certain populations. Mm-hmm. But um, so we have thumbs up for the first two, but yeah. in moderation, yeah. be careful. Don't overdo it just because um, it is quote unquote healthy. Yeah. 8,000 calories of... Uh, 8,000 calories later. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to go next? We, we got eat. coffee, we got water, we got fruits, and uh, we have we packaged got, snacks. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about... Well, why don't we talk about avocados, which is... Uh, All right, we have an avocado here. By the way, let me hold these up real quick. You're watching on camera. So this is the uh, this is the ghee that we have. And this is the epic rendered beef fat tallow. No sponsors ever, but this is just what's in our cabinet downstairs. And then this episode is sponsored by avocados. <laughs> Big avocado. <laughs> Actually, I heard someone doing an ad for avocados on a podcast once. And I'm no like, way. I hate ads, but if I had to do one ad. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah to be an how, avocado. How can I? The other one is like train safety. Had you, do you remember those? They were doing those no. for a while. Like some no. podcasts like, make sure you look both ways. I'm like. Okay, if they want to pay us to remind people to look both ways <laughs> yeah. when they're at train tracks, great. But or avocado. So avocado, people think of it as a vegetable. It is a fruit. But fruit. Let's mm. talk about this fruit. I pair it here with this. My guac, it, my my world famous guac. All the patrons <laughs> know about this at yes. this point. It contains three things: Himalayan sea salt, which we have downstairs, and uh, avocado. And lemon, not lime, mm. lemon. Just mm. those three, th- half a lemon, Good. full avocado, a lot of Himalayan sea salt. Wow. The best guac. I'm going to try it. Go for it. A three-ingredient guac? It's the best. Game changer. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Tell me about avocados. Yeah, so avocados are a very powerful brain food. I think that the only people who really can't do avocados are people with histamine intolerance. Mm. Um, but generally, avocados are very well tolerated. They have the highest concentration of fat-protecting antioxidants of any fruit or vegetable. And this is of, of relevance to the brain because the brain is made of fat. And fats that, that, that oxidize quite easily, in fact. So avocados provide rich source of vitamin E. Carotenoids like lutein and zeaxanthin, which we know protect neural tissue. They're neural tissue in your eyes. Um, they can, it can help prevent, prevent age-related macular degeneration. But we also know that uh, these same compounds now accumulate in the brain where they boost cognitive function. It's a great source of potassium. It's got twice the uh, potassium of a banana, actually, mm. um, an avocado, and uh, a wonderful source of dietary fiber. So I'm I'm all in on avocados. The only what, caveat I would say is that they're calorie dense, but you know I don't like I, I don't count calories. So what about cooking with avocado oil? Is that a thumbs it's up? It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a uh, high heat, um, capable of of tolerating very high heat, and it's mostly monounsaturated fat, which is which is a very very uh, cardiovascular friendly fat mm. as opposed to polyunsaturated fats which um, polyunsaturated fats are fine but it's when they're found in the in grain and seed oils that you really want to be careful um, and, and try to do your best to avoid them but avocado oil is primarily monounsaturated fat which is very chemically stable what's your go-to fat for cooking just out of curiosity I would say avocados up there. Okay. I I actually do use extra virgin olive oil. It's okay. very chemically stable. It's a myth that you can't cook with it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, I always thought I always heard like 
the you know the temperature usually gets too hot and then all of a yeah. sudden it so that has a lower that, smoke point you talk right. about the smoke points in, in yes. your book as well so avocado oil if you're really wanting the high temperature it's a really what is it, like 500 degrees or something yeah 400. yeah yeah it's like 500 500 plus 525 okay. depending on the on how refined the the avocado oil is because mm. it's really what determines an oil smoke point are the solids that are in the oil so mm. extra virgin olive oil is made by pressing olives. So there are compounds in the oil that are not just the fatty acids in the oil. There are polyphenols and things like that that can burn. Mm. Same with butter. Butter fat is generally very, very high smoke point, but the reason why it's in practice not doesn't have a high, high smoke point because the lactose and the casein in butter will burn, mm -hmm. right? Uh. Now, that's not necessarily a health concern. That's more a culinary concern. Mm. That's what I want people to know, that smoke the smoke point of an oil is... Something that you want to be mindful of for the for culinary reasons, right? Like it could uh, change color, like butter. We know that it browns, which may be something that you desire when you're cooking, maybe not. Mm. Um, and it could change the flavor of the oil. But it doesn't become cancer-causing like using high amounts of these grain and seed oils yeah. uh, will become after being heated and reheated. So talk about the oils that you completely avoid, the yeah. ones you don't bring into your house right now. Yeah, so I try to avoid, to the best of my ability, and it's, you're going to end up ingesting some inevitably just because they're everywhere. But grain and seed oils like corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, um, grapeseed oil, safflower oil, um, sunflower oil. There is a variant now on the market called high oleic sunflower oil, which is not bad. It's chemically quite similar to avocado oil. But these grain and seed oils are not good because they're primarily polyunsaturated fats that have been... Um, that have undergone very intensive processing. They don't have the antioxidants that they're typically found with in their whole food form. So polyunsaturated fats are not bad for you. It's just that these oils are created using very intense processing, usually um, involving high heat. Um, and so the oils are very easily oxidized. And in fact, there was a study that came out um, showing us that commercially available oil, even prior to us cooking with them, have very high levels of these oxidative products in them. Um, and then when we use them to cook or we store them or we ingest them when they're served to us in restaurants, when we get fried foods, fried foods, I would say, in particular, are the worst offenders because these oils are used in these restaurant fryers and they're kept there for days. Mm, yeah. They're yeah. not changed in between dishes. They're kept there for days yeah. and they're toxic to dispose of. You have to have a certain, you have to have a, a, a specific company that comes in and takes them because then they're converted to biofuels. You can't dispose of them mm. um, the way that you dispose of, for example, like, beef fat that you have no use for, right? Right. Now, I've heard that it's funny because I, we, and maybe you can expound yeah. on this, you know more about it than I do, but somewhere around 1870 is when we started inventing some of these, these oils. And it wasn't until like around 1910, we used them for human consumption. They were used to like lubricate machines. Yeah. And so a lot of these what? food oils, cooking oils, they were machine oils that corporations like Crisco or whoever figured out like, oh, wait a minute. We can, because we have extra, we can sell this to humans mm. Wow! and they can cook with it. Now, it wasn't until around 1950 that it be, they started to become really popular in household uh, and even... You know, even McDonald's used tallow to deep fry things until the early 90s. Right. And and now they're using, you know, well, they had to, I think they were they were forced to stop using whatever terrible oil mm. they were using at some point. Mm. And so a lot of these oils are 
the most inflammatory thing we're putting into our bodies and we're doing it at almost every meal because we're not realizing what is in the foods, especially yeah. if we're eating out. We're probably ingesting seed oils, but not just a little bit. If you're doing it every meal, you're, you are digesting these seed oils every mm. single meal. Yeah, they are. They're the they're they're dirt cheap, which is why manufacturers love them. Mm-hmm. They have no uh, flavor profile of note, right? Mm-hmm. They undergo this intensive processing that's like the food industry's equivalent of the witness protection program. So the, all these oils end up coming out with no taste, no flavor, very high smoke points because they're so pure. Mm-hmm. And and again, they're dirt cheap. Take grapeseed oil. Grapeseed oil is the byproduct of winemaking. They take the seeds of grapes and they some some brilliant. Uh, winemaker realize that you can press these seeds for oil, run them through a number of industrial processes, and you've got this oil that you can sell, and it's now a hundred million, couple hundred million dollar business worldwide, right? Wow. Grapeseed oil. And yeah, they have innumerable industrial um, applications, but now the human diet is saturated in them, whereas they didn't exist, you know, prior to a hundred, a hundred years ago. Our consumption of soybean oil alone over the past hundred years has gone up something like 2,000%. And especially with regard to the fats that we eat, we are what we eat. So these fats mm-hmm. embed themselves in our adipose tissue. They've done studies where they can biopsy your, you know, an adipose, uh, your, your fat tissue. And they'll see that the increase in linoleic acid, which is the primary fatty acid found in these grain and seed oils, has gone up something like threefold in fat tissue. We can see that they increase... Um, they get saturated in our, our LDL lipoproteins get saturated with them and they easily act, gain access to the brain because they're polyunsaturated fats, which the brain is made of. And so the idea is that the more we consume these fats while under consuming omega-3 fats, we're enriching our bodies with this, with this pro-inflammatory fat that, that essentially oversupplies our bodies with the raw materials that are used in inflammation signaling. Mm-hmm. Now, they've done studies that have found that you can feed small amounts of these oils and they don't see an uptick in inflammatory biomarkers and whatever. And that's just like, you know, it's, it's, they, haven't, they haven't seen necessarily an acute inflammatory response. But what I, my take on, on these oils is that they permit inflammation to occur and they permit it to occur to an unchecked degree, right? Um, chronically. Chronically, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They... Well, it's not even necessarily chronically. It's they provide the raw materials. So linoleic acid becomes arachidonic acid and it provides the raw materials for in our bodies, prostaglandins, which are these inflammatory signaling molecules. In fact, when you take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, you're turning off your body's ability to create prostaglandins. So mm. so you have this sort of um so they directly fuel that um that pathway. But you still, I believe, my interpretation, and this is just my my hypothesis here, but they don't, the reason why they won't necessarily see an acute inflammatory effect is because these oils are not necessarily inflammatory. You still require an inflammatory stimulus, but once that appears, Mm -hmm. then the oils are going to cause you to over respond. You have all the kindling for the fire. You have all the, the, all the kindling is there, right? Yeah. The other, the other problem with these oils is that they compete for the same, um, what are called desaturase enzymes that, uh, plant-based forms of omega-3s require in order to become usable forms in the body. Yeah. So they, if you consume too much, too many grain and seed oils, you're basically not allowing your body to derive benefit from, for example, alpha-linolenic acid, which is the plant-based form of omega-3s. So you're enriching your body with omega-6 fats, 
you're depleting your body of omega-3 fats, and I think it's a major, major problem. Mm. Let's run through some That's more of these. We'll try to get a little more rapid with uh, with the rest of it here. Yeah. So we have some uh, some organ supplements here and some uh, liver supplements. These are desiccated liver and then beef organs yeah. like mm-hmm. spleen, kidney, heart, etc. And that's if you can't eat if you, you know, we don't have access to you know heart right now um, or to liver. Um, and so what are your thoughts on desiccated organ supplements? Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan. I don't think that you I wouldn't file them under the essential category with regard to supplements, but I'm a fan. I think like beef liver is a very nutrient dense product. Mm-hmm. We very likely for the majority of our evolution probably ingested a fair amount of organ meats. Yeah. And we don't to, anymore. We don't anymore. Mm. So yeah, I'm a I'm a fan, but I I would caveat that by saying I wouldn't call them essential supplements, mm. but um but certainly can't hurt and probably will help in terms of giving your body a, a unique array of likely under-consumed nutrients. Mm. Yeah. The the energy that I felt when I first started taking them regularly was Amazing! I could tell really? I was t- so awesome. deficient on wow. something. I don't know some wow. B vitamin or something else that was going on there. It was it was like turning my brain on in mm. a way, uh, or like increasing the wattage. We have uh, some awesome. manuka honey here as well. By the way, my friend uh, Crosby Taylor, who I introduced you guys. To, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. This this brand they make a product called Mofo, which is and I have no affiliation with the brand. <laughs> The brand Mel- is Ancestral Supplements. Uh, also, uh, our friend Paul Saladino has one called Heart and Soil. Yeah, so MoFo is the, is the male optimization formula, and it has like beef testicle in it. Yes, I take uh, that too. You home. take that too. He yeah. says it's like natural Viagra. He says that. I don't know how. Really? If, you've, if you have a. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing for them is like for like. Yeah. And so. Um, That's cool. You eat heart to improve your heart. Now, yeah. uh, there's also a theory, and I don't know, I don't know the science behind this, but if you're having, like, especially if you're having an autoimmune response to something, you want to provide your body with that the food that the autoimmune response is happening to. So, for example, if oh. you if you have you know, um, some sort of GI issue, that they also you can eat you can eat cow intestines or pig intestines, chitlins, right? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, stomach, et cetera. Um, or you can do the desiccated organ supplements if that's a little bit too much out of uh, your comfort zone with the uh, the animal organs. What about, um, and so yeah, the, the, the company there is called Ancestral Supplements. There's another one called Heart and Soil if you're looking for desiccated um, organs. I assume it's cooked before it's desiccated, right? I mean, it would have to be. Is it I don't so? Know about that? I think yeah. it's probably raw. I think it's probably I raw. Is it raw? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, because yeah, like I can, yeah, I can do like raw liver. It's not enjoyable, <laughs> but <laughs> I can do it. It's actually I'd rather have it raw than cooked because it's much more tender. You guys are hardcore. I've raw. never done raw liver. Uh, it, you know, Paul, this guy's got like every biohacking gadget <laughs> in the book. Paul Saladino, Paul Saladino talked me into it to doing raw liver, wow. and there there is. It, there is a like uh, noticeable energy from eating like raw liver that. But did um, you did you get it from the supermarket? No, I got it from the place I was telling you about. Oh, um, got U.S. It. Wellness Meats. Got it. Yeah, um, that's cool. But that's yeah, smart. I mean, as far as like heart and testicles and stuff, like you can buy those at, w- from U.S. Wellness Meats, but it seems much more convenient to get it in pill form than oh, yeah, yeah, having to. And a lot of the times they're out actually. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- it, I tried to get heart and testicles one time, and they were yeah sold out of it. Obviously, if you can eat the actual organs, I assume the nutrient benefits. Sure. In fact, the, the the weird thing that I've stumbled across, we don't seem to have a whole lot of data around the nutrient uh, nutrient density of a lot of different organs. Yeah, you're right. Mm. It's, it's su- surprising. 
Um, but even though that's the food that that our ancestors prized the most, and still prized today, and in, in more primitive hunter gatherer mm. societies, yeah, they seem to prize those foods. I mean, in fact, we, the Hadza video that I often talk about is that they went to the tribal leader and I said, "What's the meaning of life?" Mm. and he said, meat and honey. <laughs> uh, to, to them, that so is so that. the uh, the uh, the meaning of life. Yeah. And we'll get into to veganism and paleo and other other diets here yeah. as well, because I don't want to leave those folks out. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, we have a thumbs up on the the desiccated organ supplements. You're saying not essential, but they may add some essential nutrients if you're deficient in those areas and give you an energy boost. Yes. Yeah. Result. Yeah. Awesome. Honey also tends to give me an energy boost from a, just a, a caloric standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about Manuka honey? Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of honey. It's not something that I like regularly eat, but I'm I'm pro honey. I'm pro supporting bees. You know, uh, bees are bees are great. Um, and uh, yeah, it probably has some some degree of bioactive phytochemical in it um, that that might have some kind of beneficial biological mm. effect but overall i think honey just tastes good it's great mm. yeah <laughs> amen <laughs> yeah and it's uh it, it can be a nice accent like for me that's my dessert every yeah. day after dinner i'll just have a big spoonful of of manuka honey i when love you, honey i love bee pollen if you've ever yeah. oh yeah had bee pollen. Yeah. yeah i'll yeah. eat that by the fistful yeah it's yeah. good stuff when you, when you took off, um, so we were in Ohio recently on a tour stop. Josh came home earlier than me and my wife, and he had some leftover tallow and honey. And he was like, oh, you know, I'll give this to you guys, and you know, maybe you'll eat it or whatever. <laughs> Mariah, like, she did a spoonful of the tallow and a spoonful of honey, and she bit into it, and she was like, no, no. <laughs> wow. Because I, I do know, like, with tallow, for myself, cooking with it changes the flavor a lot of uh, whatever you're cooking. Uh-huh. So it is an acquired taste for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not recommending this to anyone. I'm simply saying, here's what I do, especially right. with an autoimmune disease, right. to to not only get the healthy calories in, but avoid a bunch of the the yeah. junk. Yeah. We yeah. have uh, some other packaged foods here. We have these uh, these bars with uh, they're all from Epic. There's some salmon, there's some beef, and there's some venison. Mm-hmm. I know the uh, the team here. They tend to snack on these quite a bit. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on those? Do you need to see them? Do you want to see what's in? No, them? I, I know them. I, I, I love them. Yeah, smoked salmon um, is great, and I see that it's wild, uh, wild caught, which is awesome. Great source of DHA fat. I was in a pinch recently, and I, I tried that for the first time. That product in particular, and I loved it. It was like yeah. a maple, maple flavored. It's surprisingly good. Like I, yeah. when I first saw it, I'm like, really salmon in bar form? But no, it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and fish is like medicine for the brain. It's a great source of DHA fat. Uh, great source of astaxanthin, which is a powerful antioxidant for your eyes, brain, and skin. Mm. So I I love it. Um, Wagyu beef. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. It's all grass-fed, which I think is great. If you're going to eat... Wagyu is fatty, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to eat a fattier cut of meat, it really ought to be grass-fed, grass-finished, mm. because what a cow eats determines the nutritional value of its fat more so than anything else. Interesting. So for people that are listening that are on budgets or that end up eating red meat in restaurants, which I often do, it's probably a smarter idea if you can't afford or have access to grass-finished beef to reach for leaner cuts because you can take a grass-finished piece of, for example, beef tenderloin, mm-hmm. aka filet mignon, and compare it to a grain-finished uh, piece. So grass, grass-finished, grass grain-finished, filet mignon, both lean, nutritionally probably identical. 
Mm. But it's once you start looking at like the fattier cuts of meat where you'll start to see differences like higher omega-3 content, higher vitamin E content. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Wagyu beef, I mean, that's grass-fed, so I'd, I'd eat that. And then mm. venison, I don't have a lot of experience with venison, but um, it's just like a leaner wild game, so... And there's not a lot, a bunch of, uh, there's no excess stuff in here. They're not yeah. adding, they're not packaging it with a bunch of, uh, yeah, I'd be down. preservatives, et cetera. I'm we, down. we have a little packet there with some, um, uh, electrolytes. I think the company's called Element, L M N T. I quite, I quite like Element packets. I probably consume one a day. Yeah. Um, on days that I sweat a lot. And why do we, why do we need these electrolytes? Can you talk about what electrolytes are and how we're deficient in them right now? Well, primarily, I mean, sodium is important for maintaining healthy blood volume. So when I sit in a sauna, which I do regularly, I'm trying to get you guys to come with me. I think I mentioned to you, like the the, the Voda Spa mm-hmm. in, in LA. Yeah, yeah, we, we um, really enjoy Voda until they quadrupled their prices. Oh, I know it's very annoying. Yeah, very, it's very crazy. annoying. They their their business is not run very well, unfortunately. Yeah. But no, but we really enjoy that place. That place yeah. is great. Yeah. So I do. I go there a lot, and um, because I love sauna, it's a major part of. Like, you know, what I like to do recreationally, also my brothers, we go. So when you sweat vigorously, if you're not replace replenishing your electrolytes, you're probably ending up feeling depleted afterwards, which mm. I used to do until I started bringing um, more electrolytes back into my, to my, to my, whatever the, you know, like I'll mix it up with some water and yeah. sip it while I'm saunaing. Um, yeah. Because you lose primarily sodium when you sweat a lot. Well, it's interesting. Like I used to drink, um, we have a Berkey at home. So I would drink that water that came out of the Berkey without ever putting electrolytes in it. And then, um, cause it, I mean, at that point it's just purified water. And then, uh, Josh introduced me to, um, yeah, the element and kind of explained how important it is to have these different minerals and electrolytes back in your body. And I right away noticed like a different Sense it's not like I got a ton of ton of energy, but it was definitely definitely a different sensation, and yeah. uh, I was thir- I was thirsty much less often. Yeah, I mean, if you are um, on the standard American diet and you're eating a lot of processed foods, you're already getting enough sodium in your diet. There's no mm-hmm. there's no question about that. But mm-hmm. if you're health minded, if you're eating more minimally processed foods, if you're eating a lower carbohydrate diet, and if you sweat regularly, you absolutely need to start to think about where you're getting your salt from. So, because yeah. sodium is a macro mineral. We need to ingest a, a relatively large amount of it every day mm. for good health. And eating a low carb diet, eating primarily whole foods that don't have a lot of natural sodium in it, sweating regularly, you're going to end up depleting your body of sodium. So I talk about all the different salts and Genius Kitchen yeah. and, and and why that's so valuable. W- what about the minerals when it comes to water? Like the magnesium and what what other minerals? Calcium. Like, yeah, calcium. like Potassium. It, yeah. Because like when I do the, when, when I uh, drink that filtered water out of the Berkey, just straight out of there, there's no, it takes everything out. Is a Berkey, I'm not that familiar with Berkey. Is it, is that a activated carbon filter? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's not taking everything out. Okay. It's, it's taking, yeah. A reverse osmosis purifier will That's be... That's what I have at home. Yeah. That'll take everything out? That'll take everything out. Okay. And yeah. then we have to replenish it with... Yeah. Mineral. And and the reason we do that is because if you go to... If you look at your tap water, what is it? EWG.org oh, slash tap or yeah, tap yeah, water. Put a link to that in the show notes podcast, Sean. You can check your zip code yeah. for what cancer-causing chemicals are in your water locally. It doesn't matter where you live. 
it's not a matter of if if there is uh, arsenic or not in your water. It's how much. Yes. I mean, it's 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 mind blowing. It's crazy. And the amount of other stuff that we put in it, fluoride, etc., mm-hmm. that um, depending on how much water you're drinking, you could be dramatically over consuming fluoride or yeah. all of these mm-hmm. other things that are put in the water or that have leached into the water. Yeah. Speaking of, we have some water here from Mountain Valley, not a sponsor, but we uh, the water you're drinking in this, we we have in five gallon glass bottles oh love it is mountain valley and then same with uh we do some bottles of sparkling water for the team yeah i recently i became a subscriber i pay for it i get those five gallon bottles in my house too yeah and uh, glass bottles in particular to avoid the plastic yeah yeah glass it's like from a pristine source allegedly you get it in these in these glass bottles i love it i mean i was Mm -hmm. i was using a reverse osmosis purifier for a while and that was great um but uh but yeah, I just, it was still sitting in a plastic carafe and there's debate over whether or not you need to re- remineral, remineralize your water. Mm. And I was going with the remineralizing of it. And I then started to wonder what's why, the source of this? why I'm trusting this remineralizing compound. What am I adding back to my water after yeah. I've just purified it? So, so, you know, to reduce decision fatigue and analysis paralysis, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to get this Mountain Valley yeah. in the glass bottle. And and I love it, actually. I love it. It's, it's awesome. really good. The only water that's better than Mountain Valley, in my opinion, is uh, my mother and father-in-law. They have a well in Montana. And, and it is, um, it's insane how good that water is. And yeah. it's just, I mean, I'm, and I asked them, like, do you have like a, purifier or like is it just straight he's like no he's like there's a you know a little screen to catch the big chunks but like other than that like they don't do anything to it and it's huh. it's amazing i would love to get it tested like just to see yeah that, that's the question it's like we don't know what's in it like right. man this this plutonium is delicious <laughs> right <laughs> plutonium now so we have uh here, let's do lightning round on okay. these packaged okay. foods we have yeah. we have some coffee here from bandit yes the minimalist coffee if you want to uh mm-hmm. To get some at home as well. Yes. So tell us about coffee. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of coffee. I will cut it out routinely, of course, because I think it's important to, uh, I think it's important to respect the relationship that we have with coffee. It's a, mm. It provides caffeine. It's a psychoactive drug. Many people look at coffee almost as if it's like a vitamin um, and they become <laughs> dependent on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which I don't think is, which I don't think is good. And so I want to, I think in, in in respecting coffee, I think it's it's you want to not be dependent on it. You want to consume it deliberately, mm-hmm. um, and so I'll take it out occasionally. But that being said, I mean I love coffee. I there are no, a number of health benefits associated with consuming coffee. People who consume more coffee tend to have better cardiovascular health, better neurological health. Mm. There was recently a study that found that um, one of the mechanisms by which coffee can support cardiovascular health is it provides caffeine, which acts in the body. Like some of these newer uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors. Oh, wow. It actually helps your um, liver become more efficient at recycling cholesterol, which is really important. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pro-coffee. The there one, the one caveat that I would add is um, I recently stopped French pressing my coffee because when you French press your coffee, you allow this compound in coffee that's actually not so good for you called cafe stall um, concentrate in the cup. And cafe stall, at least in some, is a is a powerful, um, can actually raise LDL. So for anybody who's like, uh-huh. you know, my, why is my cholesterol so high? Um, I would recommend uh, running your coffee through a paper filter, which which basically soaks up all the cafe stall. So now I okay. use a, a pour over system. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah we use like a V60 at home here. We have a paper filter as well. So mm-hmm. uh, if you find yourself in Florida and you want to check out our coffee shop, it's in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's called Bandit, or you can order the coffee on your own. It's uh, theminimalists.coffee. Yeah. Now let's get into the rest of these packaged oh, foods man. we have yeah. here. These are the other snacks. I don't know what they are, but you tell me about <laughs> them. Heading into ultra processed territory. Well, I'm yeah. a big fan of, of almonds, so these look pretty good. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the brand on this, Ryan? Uh, those are Blue Diamond. They Ooh. are the Thai something. Yeah, they yeah. D- d- don't seem to have a lot of added sugar. Here we go with the ingredients. Although is- they are coated. the So the first ingredient, obviously, are almonds. Mm-hmm. But the second ingredient is vegetable oil. And the third ingredient mm. is sugar. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> how much vegetable oil are you actually consuming? How much sugar are yeah. you actually consuming? This says that it has one gram of added sugar, so it's probably not, it's clearly not a lot of added sugar, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I would just be mindful of that. Although in a pinch, I would probably still eat these anyway, you know, yeah. although I do try to limit, I, I try to minimize, I try to avoid vegetable oil completely, but inevitably you're going to. Yeah, you're always, you know. yeah. You're so I probably, I probably wouldn't buy this because yeah. of, because of the, because the second and third ingredient is vegetable oil and sugar. Yeah. And yeah. so there you have it. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. A pure food for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about um, the rest of our snacks? So moving on, Power Crunch Protein Energy Bars. I mean, these are probably... Let's look at the ingredients. This is totally... This is a... And a, this, by the way, this is what I do. This is how I uh, yeah. assess the foods that I'm personally buying for myself. So like if you're really hungry, you're at an airport, you saw one of these, what yeah. would you say about it? Um, This is predominantly whey protein, which is very high quality protein. So I'm down with that. Although it has uh, wheat flour in it, which I mm-hmm. I don't eat wheat. I I try they, to eat a gluten free diet. They so. are glutinous for sure. They yeah. are glutinous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I try to. I would probably avoid this. Yeah. All right. And we got a kind bar here as well. We have, we have, so the what are these Power Crunch? We have mm-hmm. two two different things here. Yeah. And then we have uh, between the, between all of these, if I had to if I bar. had to pick one, so the kind bar. Let's go into the kind bar before I answer that question. Before I, I state which one that I would have, but the kind bar. This actually looks decent. It's only five grams of sugar. Um, I would like less than that because that's a that's a teasp- that's more than a teaspoon of added sugar, mm. right? Oh, um, wow. yeah, because in, in a teaspoon you've got four grams of okay. sugar. So right. for every four grams of of added sugar or sugar in general in a product, that's like think of that as another teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. So you avoid sugar. You not you haven't completely eliminated sugar from your diet, but you tend to avoid it. I I try to avoid added sugar. Added sugar. Yes. Yeah. added sugar. Like right. whether it's right, no matter what kind of sugar it is. Like whether yeah, it's coconut or whether it's and if, it, if it's in a Honeycrisp apple, you're fine with it. Totally. If it's in a Kind yeah. Bar, you're yeah. a little suspect. Yeah, yeah. I would okay. I would say the one exception that I make to that rule is with dark chocolate because I think the benefits of eating dark chocolate outweigh the risks. There's always going to be a little bit of added sugar. Well, you could do 100 uh, okay. dark chocolate. You could. Come you on could. now. Yeah, you could. I don't know if I is that what you do. I'm not. I'm there, not. There's one at Trader Joe's, Montezuma. Is that yeah. what it's called? It's really good. Some of them are good. It's 100. It's, so, it's yeah. amazing. All it's 100. Right. And what's amazing is like it has uh, like bits of cacao in there, so it's like this crunchy dark chocolate bar. It is. It's out wow. of this world. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. So tell me about the kind bar, and then which one would you pick? Yeah. So the kind bar is almonds, chicory root fiber. Chicory root fiber is a is a can be problematic. Um, there's seven grams of fiber in here. I don't know. I don't know what the what proportion of that is from the chicory root fiber, but I know in a lot of people, if they overconsume that, it, it could lead to explosive me. gas. Which oh, you don't interesting. Want. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There was. Um. I'm not going to say the brand because over. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, 
There, there is a brand that makes like these like collagen protein bars and they were loaded. I think they still are, but they definitely certainly used to be loaded with chicory root fiber. And one I would be okay with, but if I had two, that would put me over the threshold where I'd have to quarantine myself. Not because I, have, <laughs> not because I, so chicory root fiber, I think is, is, is problematic. I think, I think we have a tolerance of about 10 grams. Most people, okay, if I recall correctly. Um, so if I had to pick between all of these different products, I probably would go for, I don't know, I think I'd probably go for the almonds. Yeah. And if we open it up to everything else, there's only one thing that we haven't. The almonds also have more protein. So, there's one thing we haven't talked about yet is we have some uh, wild caught yellowtail. I like that product a lot. I yeah, love that it's an extra virgin olive oil. And um, I actually, I think by itself, it's kind of bland. But yeah. if, if you put a little bit of sriracha on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah, nice. Okay. So that's from Wild Planet. Uh, some canned yellowtail. Or you can do canned sardines from them as well. And um, you're saying that you definitely recommend the uh canned fish oh yeah huge it's um great source of omega-3 fatty acids wonderful source of protein people who eat more fish have protection from uh from alzheimer's disease they have protection from cardiovascular disease Mm. um it's it's really great and a lot of canned fish you'll find packed in soybean oil this brand packs their fish you can find it either in water marinara sauce or extra virgin olive oil which mm-hmm. is great so mm-hmm. i i actually am frequently a customer of wild planet yeah and i like the the sardines with marinara so good those are yeah. awesome the, so in the good. sardines you don't have to worry as much about mercury like you might in some bigger fish like <laughs> Correct. like tuna mm-hmm. yeah because right? sardine, sardines are small fish tuna is a predatory fish it can accumulate mercury um also it has less uh, omega-3s than sardines Okay. Um, but it's still a great, highly satiating snack. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that concerned with mercury from fish personally. I think that it's still probably wise to hedge your bets if you're uh, trying to get pregnant or are pregnant, nursing, or are um, young, you know, and still developing. I think it's probably better to go for fish like wild salmon, sardines, than, than to regularly eat tuna. But mm-hmm. still, um, I think the benefits of eating fish no matter what kind of fish it is, outweigh the risks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about, and this actually ties into a question we had from Susan, or no, it was um, from Jake. Jake said, what foods should we completely remove from our diet? You you talked about seed oils. Yeah. And removing seed oils altogether. Yeah. Added sugar, it sounds like yeah. removing as much of that as you can. Yes. You've talked about that during this Maximal episode. Yeah. What other foods besides seed oils and added sugar? Gluten? Do you remove you've removed that from your diet? Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily make I would have to qualify that recommendation because I don't think that gluten is good for people. Um mm-hmm. and there's data there's data that that supports that statement, but um but some people in moderation can in, can enjoy gluten and not have any negative health effect from it. Mm-hmm. So so I'm I'm not going to put that in that category necessarily. Yeah, but you avoid it personally. So, I avoid it personally. So yeah. maybe there's like three categories here. One is eliminate. Yeah, yeah. One's avoid. Well, there's another food category that I would add to the eliminate, and that would be refined grains. So okay. some of, so these bars mm. have wheat in it. Yeah. Even today, like whole wheat bread, commercially prepared whole wheat bread, is a refined grain. Uh huh. Um, and so I think people are there's people are definitely better off eliminating to the best of their ability refined grains mm. and wheat in its most common occurrence in the standard American diet 
is a refined grain. So by cutting out wheat, um, or at least minimizing, you're, you're also minimizing your exposure to gluten. You're also minimizing your exposure to other things that tend to come in bread. Like, I mean, you could look at a loaf of bread in the modern supermarket and chances are you're going to find high fructose corn syrup in it, mm, which has oh. no reason being in bread. I mean, talk about like yeah, being well. maximalist, right? Like <laughs> bread, to make bread, you need three base ingredients. <laughs> right. You need wheat, yeast, water, mm. maybe some salt, right? Yeah. But that's how you make bread. Right. If you look at the, if you look at your modern bread, there's like ingredient lists that are as long as a CVS receipt. Yeah. There's just like corn oil, canola oil, soybean oil, high fructose corn syrup, all these extraneous ingredients that you don't need and are probably not doing your health any favors. And mm. they're there to keep it more shelf stable there and are, to make it ultra palatable? Ultra palatable to make it shelf stable. Yeah. I mean, bread... If anybody's made their own bread, I mean, bread can bread can pick up mold fairly easily. Yeah, right. Um, so there's that. But it's also, it's primarily to make bread hyperpalatable, to make it tasty. Mm. Yeah, because if it's tasty, you'll come back for more, yeah. you'll buy more, even, even if you're not, you know, especially if you're not thinking about the health consequences of yeah. it. Okay, so we, we've talked about some foods to avoid and eliminate. Is there anything else that you would put in that avoid category or, or use very sparingly? Man... Um, I feel like that's like pretty much it. Those are the big ones, like added sugar, refined grains, grain and seed oils. Those are the, those are the big categories. Right. What yeah. grains do you eat? I will eat uh, a little bit of white rice on my sushi primarily. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't, um, I try to, I eat a, a largely grain free diet because I think that grains really are cattle feed. Like we feed them mm. to cattle to fat with the explicit intent of fattening them up. Yeah. Right. Right. So why do, somehow we've been misled to believe that they should be a staple in the human diet when there's no essential need. We have no biological requirement for grain consumption. And yet for decades, we've been told that they should be the foundation of the diet, right? With the, with the USDA food pyramid, which is now thankfully retired, but what it's been replaced by the MyPlate still implores us to consume grains at every meal. In mm. fact, if you Yikes. go to the USDA and the, and the MyPlate website specifically, depending on calorie needs, it still tells you to consume up to 10 servings of grains a day, up to half oh. of which can be refi refined. I'm not even kidding you. And a serving of grains is a slice of bread. My goodness. Or a portion of, of commercial cereal, right? This so is the, like our fat childhood, right? It's, it's, wait, but that's because, you know, uh, you're, <laughs> we assume that the government is going to uh, do good for us and like, oh, well, whatever they say, that's how it should be. And because we have that assumption, then you have lobbyists who go in and like, yeah, that's that's why grain is still on the on, on the on the my plate is because of people lobbying it for to be on there. It's now, is there anything food. in grains that you can't get somewhere else? Are there any micronutrients in grains that you would be forsaken if you completely eliminated them from your diet? Uh, not naturally occurring. Okay, no. Although They're because yeah, because the American public is so <laughs> nutrient deprived. Mm. Um, as of a couple of decades ago, they mandated that most wheat should be enriched. And so they'll now enrich wheat with, uh, I believe niacin, riboflavin, iron, mm. um, folate. I think there was one other B vitamin. Um, but so, so, so you will see the nutritional orthodoxy yeah. saying that if you remove wheat from your diet, you actually can put yourself at risk for nutrient deficiencies. Right. Because wheat is actually a source of these like enriched, yeah, um, these synthetic vitamins now. I, yeah, I think it's also like I don't know. Um, I saw this TED talk 
about how valuable bread was and how it's like kept people alive and how important it was in certain diets. And yeah, I mean, if you're starving, like eating a piece of bread is going to be much better than eating nothing at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, uh, but it's nice that we have the option to cut it out though. Yeah. You know, I, ca- I call it uh, one of humanity's oldest processed foods. Yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. still a processed food. I mean, we, we have this reverence for it. It's, you know, they talk about bread in the Bible. Right. Right. Yeah. But, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't have any bearing on, on its, right. on its health attribute. Yeah. Well, we got some surprise questions here. I also want to get to some of your tweets. We'll do, do that here in a moment. <laughs> Malabama, we got a question. Let's start with uh, Lainey's question. Is a vegan diet the most minimalist diet or is it paleo, keto or something else? Now, Max, you shared an article recently talking about the vegan junk meat. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that because <laughs> I think we have this accidental understanding of veganism that's being propagated throughout our culture that anything vegan is essentially healthy. There are healthy versions, healthier versions of a vegan diet. And we can talk about whether or not they provide all of the adequate nutrients. But we had our friend Rich Roll on the podcast four or five times by now. And so, and he's a paragon of health. So there is a healthy way to do this plant-based thing. But just because something is vegan has mm-hmm. it on the, the package that's a way that they're promoting a product doesn't mean that it's inherently healthy right yeah i mean i i don't think that the vegan diet is optimal i think it's uh, uh it makes no sense from an evolutionary standpoint it's not a biologically appropriate diet um and there's really no good data to, to show that a vegan diet is in any way superior to uh an omnivorous diet a mm-hmm. diet that includes animal products um so no i don't think a, a vegan diet is is optimal. You know, there was a study that I just shared, just came out, great paper, published. uh, The first author is at, I believe, University of Adelaide or Adelaide University in Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, in this paper, there's this, so there's this misconception, this narrative that uh, when you look at the world's oldest lived populations, which has been coined the blue zones, right, Mm -hmm. of the world, that they're somehow low protein diets, that they they don't eat a lot of animal products, Mm -hmm. right? First of all, the blue zones have been invented by a journalist named Dan Butner, and it's this pop this this group of seven or eight different communities, right? And it's just this like story that's been created, right? Yeah. We can look at the Seventh Day Adventists, right? They're mm-hmm. vegetarians, they live a long time, so it must be the fact that they're vegetarians, right? But they right. also their religion their religion um, mandates essentially that they don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. They exercise regularly. They've got very tight knit social circles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not the vegetarianism that that is leading to their to to the to the health outcomes that yeah. we see. And we can pick apart any of these so called blue zones in the same way. So this paper, this University of Adelaide paper, was like. Where does this like story that we're telling ourselves come from that somehow meat is associated, the meat abstention is associated with longevity? Mm-hmm. What they did was they took 175 countries for which data was available on meat consumption, on GDP, on education levels, and on life expectancy. Okay. Because you could argue that a wealthier country is going to eat more meat, people with higher levels of education, they're going to eat more meat. They controlled for all those variables. Mm-hmm. And they found that unequivocally that me- per capita meat consumption was associated with greater longevity. Mm. That in countries where more meat is consumed, 
people live the longest after controlling for GDP, after controlling for education levels. Interesting. So, that's a correlational yeah. study. There's There are no randomized controlled trials to show that meat is in, in any way unhealthy, causes cancer, cardiovascular disease, or anything like that. Yeah. The problem with, with meat, this is, I know as a tangent, um, we've sort of left the topic of the question, but what's so what makes nutrition science so difficult and yet it makes it so easy to exploit the ignorance of the american people and make bogus nutritional recommendations is this concept of healthy user bias when you look at the population level people who consume more whole grains have better health right mm. your average american isn't consuming any whole grains your average american is right. consuming ma- refined grains maximally refined grains mm, right yeah. if you look at the population level and you were to and you were to tease out all the people in the united states who eat on a regular basis quinoa right this high flutin grain that most people don't even know how to pronounce you take <laughs> all the people who eat quinoa mm-hmm. chances are those people are also taking multivitamins on a regular basis they're mm. exercising more they're more health conscious there's a lot right, of other right? factors so that's yeah. the healthy user bias are they healthy because of the quinoa or in spite of the quinoa or maybe the quinoa is having no effect whatsoever yeah. right with meat you have the inverse effect, right? At the population level, people who eat more meat are more likely to be sedentary. They're more likely to smoke. They're more likely to eat fast food, right? Yeah. This is true for all kinds of meat, but it's certainly true for processed meat, right? Because yeah. what is a processed meat? What is processed meat? It's a hot dog. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the the thin strips of meat that you get on a Subway sandwich, mm, right? Yeah. That you're eating the chips and the, and the large soft drink with. Yeah. So... So, and yet, these are the kinds of studies that are used to make nutritional recommendations and are used to write clickbait headlines and are used especially cleverly by the vegan community, Mm. right? Yeah. So that was a little rant. um, (laughs) And this isn't a knock against the vegan community. No, it's not. If you want to be vegan, by all means, go for it. But it's it's the health science claims that they make that are, by and large, for the most part, with few exceptions, erroneous. Mm. I mean, what about the other side of that, though? Someone like Lainey, who's asking this question about a vegan diet, maybe she's doing it because, she, for moral reasons, yeah. she, she's decided to abstain from meat. And the other thing that I hear often, the other side of this argument, I hate that there are sides here, because you, what you're mm-hmm. talking about is you're not talking. About, you're talking about not choosing a side. It's not carnivore versus vegan. Correct. Yeah, right. You're you like. All of human history are an omnivore. Yeah. You look at the Hadza, they're omnivores. Mm. All You look at the Maasai, they're omnivores. You look at any hunter-gatherer tribe that we have remains of from the past, they are omnivores. Mm-hmm. Now, it may vary depending on seasonality, on availability of, of food. But then also, we live in a modern society now where... We also want to be conscious of the suffering that we're inflicting. Or, yes. And so uh, I think one of the reasons that... that people are so turned off by meat is the the factory farming and yeah. the the terrible conditions that a lot of animals are yes. in when they are being factory farmed. Yes. That's true. And factory farms are terrible. And you might choose to opt out um, entirely. But by opting out of meat consumption entirely, that's not, I would argue, how you change the system. You use your money to vote for producers who care mm-hmm. and who are trying to change the system from the inside. Yeah. You don't just opt out. Because in, in so doing, you're also compromising, I, I, I think, your own your own health, right? Because mm. I do think that omnivory is is more optimal than, um, 
and veganism. But it's it's also really important to note, and and I, I think we can't. Um, you know, there's this concept of like the ostrich effect, right? Like where like we 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 don't like to hear facts that don't support our 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 pre existing beliefs, but mm. plant agriculture still costs animal lives yeah. to the tune of over seven, it's been estimated over seven billion an animal lives lost per year due to plant agriculture alone. Yeah. Seven billion with a B? With a B. Wow. Yeah, but it's, it it's funny to me that when people who who think about you know, factory farming is one thing, Yeah, but then there's also like just the regular, if you've been to a farm before, Ryan and I grew up in the Midwest, we've been to a lot, I have an uncle who owned a farm, mm -hmm. and I would spend time there. And the amount of animals that accidentally get killed on a soybean farm or a coin or a corn farm yeah. is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's so many carcasses and so much blood and and, and they're being chopped up by all these machines mm -hmm. and even baby deers and things like that that are being killed regularly. Now, the intention might not be there, but the death still ends up being there. Yeah, yeah, chemical runoff, entering streams, killing fish, harming birds. Have we somehow just decided that the life of, of a single cow is worth more than all of all of these critters that are being decapitated yeah. by the by the tilling of, of land? Mm. So what what I try to argue is I think that the the one best reason to not eat meat is that you don't like it. That's the that's the most valid reason. Mm-hmm. Because if you're partaking in any aspect of modern life, if you're shopping in a modern supermarket, if you're buying your greens in the plastic container that's been triple washed, if you're if you're if you're a modern human, you've you've unfortunately got some quantity of blood on your hands. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. Which is a it's it's screwed up. But that's why to me it's like that the ethical argument, even the ethical argument, is not is not well thought out. You know, if you're avoiding meat because you don't want to be responsible for the deaths of any animals, but you're shopping in a modern supermarket and you're eating ultra processed plant foods, you're still involved. Unfortunately, you're mm -hmm. complicit in in the the exploitation, mm. the torture, the deaths of animals. It's it's sad, but it's it's true. And so, yeah. I think that how do we? So the question then should be: How do we minimize right minimize the area under the curve of suffering? Right, and the way to do that, I think, is to buy meat, which is very nutrient-dense, calorie for calorie, right? Mm -hmm. So it fills you up, requires less overall work, right? Um, and it's going to nourish your body. Mm -hmm. And you buy that meat from responsible responsible farmers. Yeah. And it's the same thing with uh, your vegetables and stuff, too. I mean, you know, going to a farmer's market where... Uh, these aren't, it's not factory farmed vegetables. It's probably a little bit more, um, yeah, it causes less uh, rodent deaths and things like that where, yeah, you might be eating uh, some tofu, <laughs> but, but like that was, you know, that soybean, those soybeans came from a factory farm that was doing exactly what you were kind of talking about with the rodents and the runoff. Yeah. Um, so it's not a matter of like what you, if with it, for this conversation, I feel like it's not a matter of what you eat. It's more about um, like where did it come from? Like, like you said, with your dollars, you're voting with your dollars. What are you voting for when you, whether it's vegetables or meat, what are you voting for? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I spend my own money on, on, on producers that I think are, are doing better for the environment. I'll spend a little bit more. I'm mm -hmm. very lucky. I have the, the ability to be able to do that. But, um, 
But that's how you change the system. You don't change yeah. the system by opting out or by <laughs> going over to some guy named Max Lugavere's Instagram page and leaving hate comments. That's not <laughs> that's not how you change the system. Hmm. Change the system by using your 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 resources to vote for the system yeah. that you want to see, right? Yeah. And and yeah, like you said, there's a little bit of I don't know how you said it, but like there's a little bit of blood on our hands with stuff. Like even when you think about like this, the zero waste movement, which is amazing. Like I think it's great that people are going out of their way to create as little waste as possible. There's so like when you buy something, there's so much waste that happens before you buy that product. Even though you may not be producing waste yourself, the amount of waste that has to uh, that, that has to happen for you to get a certain product, like there's still. Um, there's just still, yeah, there's some still consequences that we're not aware of, I guess. Yeah. And also, like, how, to what extreme do you take veganism, right? Like, mm. are, have you ever taken a pharmaceutical drug in your life? Mm. Because yeah. pharmaceutical drugs are not vegan. There's mm. been, you know, I mean, when I, when I take an Advil for a headache, if, I mean, I try not to, I don't, I'm not a big medication fan, but nothing against medication. I, tr I try to minimize. But how many animals had to have been sacrificed to create any drug yeah. that anybody takes? Right. Right. So, yeah. I think that's the problem we run into. We often run into some dogmas here. And what you're saying, what I, what I really like about what you do, and like with the new book, uh, Genius Kitchen, you, you don't demonize plants, you don't demonize meat, but you also recognize that there are better versions of each, like an organic, you know, we have this avocado on the table because we were reviewing these foods earlier. The, an organic avocado is generally preferable to a conventional avocado. Um, and I think the same is true with like our meat. You can get corn-finished beef or you can get grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And th there are alternatives in here. And you, you talk about some of those in Genius Kitchen. But back to the heart of Lainey's question here, she asked about vegan diets, keto diets, paleo diets. Anytime that we're following an ideology or a dogma, yeah. it doesn't mm. always make space for our own individuality. Mm. So can maybe you expand on what is the, if, if you're looking at the most minimalist diet, the most minimalist approach to dieting, it's about what we avoid. It's also about what we bring in. What does it look like to you, Max? I mean, I, I, my dietary philosophy is, Simply put, plants and animals, properly raised plants, whole plants, and properly raised animal products. Mm -hmm. um, try to keep things as minimally processed uh, as possible. Um, but, you know, we live, we, we, I'm a member of modern society. I'm going to inevitably eat some processed foods like ghee. Ghee is butter that's been, is cream that's been processed, right? Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I think when you're eating primarily whole foods, you really can't go wrong. And 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 I think that it's about um, inclusion much more so than it is about exclusion. I think that when you're eating foods that are nourishing and that are uh, providing your body with important protector molecules and the you know compounds like um, cysteine, for example, which helps support glutathione production. Mm. I mean, you you're setting your body up for success. With regard to these tribes like the paleo diet, I mean, I like the paleo diet because of its the emphasis that it places on food quality. So I think that yeah. that's a good thing. I also like uh, there are aspects of the keto diet that I like. I mean, I've I've written extensively about the keto ketogenic diet in the context of neurodegeneration and how mm -hmm. important I think 
the ketogenic diet is. Mm -hmm. Um, but today it's been, you know, there's like these tribes now that are like encouraging their followers to eat very high fat animal products all the time and, and cheese on everything. And, you know, Bacon, I was going to say bacon instead of apples. I, I love bacon. Bacon's, <laughs> bacon's great. Nothing against bacon. But, you know, what I'm saying is like the, we, we call it sometimes dirty keto as opposed to clean clean keto. So I mm. think that there's there's uh, there are issues with, with the keto um, diet, although I do like that the keto, ketogenic diet also issues refined grains, issues mm. added sugars. And, and generally, um, when you see a keto product, you're going to see you, you won't find um, grain and seed oils used to create it. So... Right. There are aspects of keto that I like. There are aspects of, of paleo that I like. Yeah. And and I eat foods, some foods that are plant-based also. Yeah. So Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think that that's the thing is yeah. what you're putting in your body. Sometimes it's plant-based or animal-based yeah. or whatever. It but it tends to be high quality. And any of these diets, when they work well for someone, it often has to do with what they exclude. For me, the autoimmune paleo diet works really well because I have an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. And so I have eliminated some foods that are immunogenic. They trigger some sort of immune response, whether that is a, a gut reaction, ulcers, uh, skin issues, acne, rash, rashes, etc. Whatever it might be, joint pain, uh, eliminating those foods then simply makes room for the the foods that don't trigger those same symptoms. Yeah. What? Yeah. You've only got so much real estate in your stomach, right? And so you want to do your best to optimize for nutrient density, the foods that are going to that are going to fill you up, make you feel good, provide joy and pleasure because that's a big part of eating as well that yeah. we shouldn't discount. Yeah. Um, but that are also going to give your body, again, the, the micronutrients and, and macronutrients that it needs to, to be resilient, to mm. be robust. And that's something that I think uh, we've, we've lost today. I mean, especially over the past two years, we've seen that we are, from the standpoint of public health, we just weren't set up for um, the kind of pathogenic threat that we've all like, experienced, right? Because, of our, because we, didn't, we hadn't cultivated that resilience. We hadn't right. cultivated that, that robustness, right? Many of us look to our doctors to help us cultivate uh, resilience, which is an impossibility, no. right? Mm. Which is an impossibility, right? Yeah. We, look to, we look to our, um, maybe it's, it's products that we buy or our, our supermarkets. But really, resilience has to, it's almost like a mind state issue. Like it has to come from within. It has to come mm. from doing things that are sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah eating foods that you don't want to, spending a little more on, on, on quality and cutting out in the process snacks and foods and sugar-sweetened beverages and, and indulgences that maybe aren't serving you as well so that you can use those resources instead, shuttle them towards higher quality you know, animal products or yeah. uh, and the like. So, yeah. Max, what, I, what, I, go ahead. You know, what, what you're talking about is being very deliberate with yeah. the food that we, we put in our body. And that's what minimalism is. It's about being deliberate with the resources that you have. So to answer Lainey's question head on, yes, vegan is minimalist. Yes, paleo is mi minimalist. Yes, keto is minimalist. As long as you're doing so intentionally and not just because of dogmatics, then yeah, it's a minimalist diet. What a great point. Because if you try keto and you and it, it makes you feel miserable, mm -hmm. or if you try a vegan diet and it makes you feel miserable, and then you try a different version of it and it's just not working for you, or you try a carnivore diet and that makes you feel miserable, mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I have to keep doing this, though, because it's the most minimalist thing. Well, no. Right. You, you're Ooh. doing something in a way 
that now you are causing suffering in yourself. And so what is the diet that eases the suffering for you? Quite often, we bring a lot of foods into our life because they're pleasurable. Right. And that pleasure actually increases our suffering long term, which is a broader metaphor for life. We do a lot of things in life. We we finance the car, we finance the suit or the dress or the home that we can't afford. Mm. We put the thing on a credit card and now, a month from now, a year from now, we're sort of trying to pay that thing off yeah. and it's making us miserable. Danny, get the TikTok machine ready here because I have a quote from Max. And Max, I love this quote from you. You said, if you don't make time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. Mm. If you don't make time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. Mm. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah. I mean, certainly some health conditions are fall outside of our control and we can do everything quote unquote right and still develop cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, innumerable modern chronic conditions, right? But essentially the the vast majority of conditions that people are suffering from today aren't congenital, they are not genetic, they are lifestyle-driven and mediated conditions like type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, and, and others, or obesity-related conditions. Um, we're now seeing that Alzheimer's disease, and this is sort of the foundation of, of my work, is responsive in terms of our ability to modulate risk to our diets and our lifestyles. So mm -hmm. people need to realize that they are empowered to make choices that are going to um that are going to change the odds in terms mm -hmm. of whether or not they develop these kinds of conditions because but, but people when when they get that bad report from the doctor's office they're like why me, right? We have to I think realize that our health is a choice that we make with every every bite that we take. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And tweet that podcast, Sean. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh and yeah, I mean I saw this with my mother. It was like the my why, right? The reason why I do all of my work is because my mom was incredibly sick. My mom had a tr very tragic life and um and she tried to be health conscious for her for the entirety of her life, as far as I can remember, my mom was avoiding saturated fat, avoiding dietary cholesterol, mm. eating, eating refined grains so long as it had a red heart healthy logo on the box. Mm. Never any butter in my house, always margarine. So, oh. yeah, all that. That's how I grew up. The mm. things that we were told are supposed to be healthy are often the things that are causing the illness mm. in us. Exactly. Mm. And it was really tragic to to witness. And, um, and uh, I don't know everything. I, I've dedicated my life to trying to understand why this happened to my mom. Um, and the tools that I have for investigation are, are purely observational, right? Looking back at my mom's life and looking at her dietary pattern and, and the like. But one thing is clear is that my mom, you know, she was fed information from mainstream media. She was not, uh, she, she was a passive consumer of, of health information and she did whatever she was told essentially. Yeah. And, I think one of the amazing things about being alive today is that just one or two generations back, there wasn't 
the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, people didn't have access to all of the world's knowledge at their fingertips 24 hours a day, the way that we, the the way that we do today. Right. So we have this amazing gift, all of us. Mm -hmm. There's this statistic. I mean, I forget exactly how it, or, or there's this like, um, line that the, your average kid in rural Africa today has the same, uh, has better telecommunications technology than the president of the United States did 30 years ago. Mm, yeah. Something like that, right? So yeah. we have this we have this incredible birthright. And if you're not making use of it to empower yourself and to make better decisions for you and your loved ones, then you're wasting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you, so we have access to the information. In fact, we have access to too much information. That, right. can, that can be part of the problem, <laughs> right? where we don't even know where to go. That's why when you create a book, you have a like Genius Kitchen, you have everything right there. And like to me, all the knowledge that you need is at your fingertips. You don't need anything besides this book. I yeah. know it sounds like I'm trying to I'm not I don't get anything from selling you this book if you're listening to this, but um it's all right there. So if you're worried about information overload, but let me ask you this, Max, and we're going to take a break before we get to your tweets cuz I have to use the bathroom. But um if we have access to all the so-called healthy foods that we know are beneficial to us. And then we have access to some things where we would say no to these things on a better day of ours. Why do we often turn to the things or even things that are way worse than, than these things that are on the table right here? Why do we often turn to those things? Is it simply because they're hyper palatable or is there something else in our psychology that is driving us to constantly make these poor decisions over and over and over. Wow, such a good such a good question. I think that it's just just my opinion. I think I mean I think it has a lot to do with stress that people will forego um well I think it's I think it's I think it's stress. You know, the, these things do provide a bit of mouth pleasure. And today we live stressed out lives, lifestyles. Um, and so this can, this can help, I think, alleviate and provide some degree of comfort for people who are, who are stressed out. It's not just stress. I think it's the fact that we're chronically all underslept. Mm. Um, that plays a huge role as well. When we're underslept, we make worse decisions about everything. We have uh, worse impulse control we're less able to emotionally regulate um, on on just one night of, of shortened sleep. This has to do with the fact that later on in the evening or in our in our sleep, we uh, we have more REM sleep, which helps to fortify um, the processes related to mental health. So um, we see that the prefrontal cortex is not as active in people that are underslept. And so what that can do is that can lead to craving of hyperpalatable, sugar-sweetened, fatty foods, right? Mm. To the degree that on one night of shortened sleep, you tend to crave about 400 additional calories the next day. Mm. It's interesting because like we, we, would go, we would go on tour um, back, I don't know, our first tour was 2011, I think. Yes. And um, there's a lot of nights where, you know, I'm, I'm driving or Josh is driving, but especially if it was me, like driving at, you know, one o'clock in the morning trying to get to the next place. I would get so freaking hungry, like unbelievably hungry. And yeah, I usually went to, um, you know, whatever's available. There's fast food and gas station food is pretty much at one o'clock in the morning. But yeah, I just, it's interesting because there is something with the being tired that made me hungry. Yeah. It becomes a lot more difficult to emotion, to, to regulate, regulate your emotions. And 
it's an emotional decision at the end of the day that's going to mm-hmm. make one of us pick yeah, up one yeah. of these bars, right? I mean, I remember when I was going through a breakup in my early 20s, I came to this observation just myself. It was like a, it was a lot more difficult for me to cope on nights that I was on, on days that I was underslept. Mm. And so this affects, I mean, it affects everything. It affects your decision. It, execs, it affects executive function, yeah. which includes impulse control. And I think when it comes to saying no to these, mm-hmm. to these kinds of products, I mean, we rely on that. We rely on our willpower, which is a finite resource. Yeah. I mean, we know that corporations spend millions, tens of millions of dollars to make certain products hyper palatable so they can sell you more of it. They don't care about your health. They care about your wallet. Mm -hmm. And what they want to do is extract the money from your wallet. And if you're willing to part with that money because you enjoy the pleasure, the mouth Mm -hmm. pleasure in the moment, it doesn't matter to them how nutrient dense it is or whatever. In fact, even the places that, that will sell you nutrient dense products, they're doing so because they're doing it in a way that's more profitable for them, right? Now, there may be some benevolent entrepreneurs out there who start a few companies every once in a while or they start a B Corp and and they're trying to serve the greater good. Even question that uh, to to an extent. But realizing that quite often these things have been manufactured, these foods have been manufactured to get you to eat more of them, Mm -hmm. to give up more of your money. Yeah. Here's one thing that has really helped me out with my more healthy food decisions. And I always ask myself this question. Am I going to be happy I ate this a week from now? Mm-hmm. And I never look back and say, I really w- wish I would have eaten that piece of cake last Wednesday. I really wish I would have eaten the tortilla chips last Thursday. I really, really wish I would have eaten that ice cream last Saturday. And yet, I'm not saying these things are bad all the time, but I never look back and say, I wish I would have had more of the junk food that ends up causing more suffering in my life. Yeah. I mean, you could even say, am I going to be happy that I ate this uh, yes- yesterday? Or yeah. am I tomorrow? Am I going to be happy that I that I made this decision tomorrow? <laughs> or right after you eat it. Or right after I eat it. Yeah. I mean, I can't, tell, I can't tell you the last time I had a donut, but every time I ate a donut, right after I'm done eating it, I'm like, why did I eat that donut? Well, Max, I want to walk through some of these tweets with you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll also tune into the live stream, see if we can answer another question or two from the live stream. All right. We'll see you in a second, patrons. All right, patrons, we are back here with Max Lugavere. We were just talking on the live stream. I uh, had Ryan, well, Ryan and Max both asked for a snack. So we did a little (laughs) bit of ghee, a spoonful of ghee and manuka honey. Really good. What did you think? Game changer. Really yeah, tasty. It really, really is tasty. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, it could potentially make its way into the, the regular rotation for me. Yeah. Um, gonna, can, it's going to be in the, the updated version of Genius Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a spoonful of ghee and a spoonful of honey. Yeah. The minimalist snack. Yeah. It just reminds me of one of those recipes that like you would turn into a meme and then say, follow me for more, for more recipes. You know? <laughs> it's just like two things. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Well, speaking of memes, one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram is at Max Lugavere. And I actually, he's the only person who I'll allow to do this. (laughs) And that's reshare your tweets on Instagram. Yeah, he does do a good job of that. Usually, it drives me crazy when people share their tweets on, because it's some vapid nonsense where I'm like, but this is actually... 
And so I actually pulled the original source material here. I have some tweets from Max Lugavere. I love it. Even though I originally read these on Instagram. On Instagram. Let's uh, let's go through these one at a time, Max. I'll just hand them over to you. Maybe you can read uh, about it, and then we'll expound on it together. This is the first one about uh, feeling crappy all the time. Why do I feel shitty all the time? <laughs> Starter pack. <laughs> Ultra processed foods. Zero exercise. Sitting all day. Poor posture. Too much caffeine. Sun and nature deprived. Crappy sleep. Social media. Why you got to call me out like that, Max? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. A lot of people were like, I feel, you know, I feel seen, but also fuck you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's expand on these things. No, so, it's, it's, that's great. Yeah. We often feel crappy because of ultra-processed foods. I mean, I think that that's the reason that's the first thing on your list. And mm-hmm. we've spent this maximal episode talking about avoiding a lot of these processed foods and refined oils and packaged foods and the center of the supermarket, etc. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else to add here? The, the sitting all day, that's a big one. We're a sedentary uh, culture. In fact, we had... Um, um, Aaron, uh, Aaron Alexander, oh, I think yeah. you've had on your podcast too. We yeah. had him on the podcast last week and um, he was talking about movement and just doing some basic things to get us mm. moving again. The poor posture, the too much caffeine. Now, in my corporate days, I was the king. I probably had 20 cups of coffee a day, Dude, Max. I Jesus. do remember you always, yeah, always drinking coffee. Yeah. It was it was bad. Yeah. And so, yes, I felt like crap all the time because I was following your checklist. <laughs> you were following <laughs> You were following the wrong checklist. <laughs> I misread it. I thought it said how to feel great. You and- thought it was opposite day. <laughs> opposite day, yeah. No, it's a big problem. I mean, too much caffeine is something that like I, I have in the past struggled with. And now mm-hmm. I'm, I brought caffeine back at the minimal effective mm-hmm. dose, mm-hmm. Um, which I think is really great. Because when, you, when you're dependent on caffeine, you're not actually experiencing performance levels above your baseline when you drink caffeine, you're treating your withdrawal from caffeine. And so you're just trying to get back to your baseline levels of performance. And so that's like one to two cups for you a day? I try to do one. I do one cup a day. Okay. And and in that cup, I've now, I discovered at Whole Foods, actually, that you can buy half-calf coffee. You oh, can wow. at Bandit oh. as well now. Oh, yeah, can you? Right. Yeah, yeah, we started doing half-calf. Although my wife does like 98% decaf. With the bandit, the bandit has the best decaf wow. coffee there is. In fact, if we have a, mm-hmm. a so I'll give it to you. Amazing, yeah, yeah I like um, decaf. It is, it's a natural process. It's it's delicious. Great. But then Beck, so she'll do eighteen grams. My wife will do eighteen grams of decaf and two grams of caffeinated in the morning. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it works really well for her. So you found what is optimal for you about half half yeah, calf. Yeah, because the thing is, caffeine doesn't create energy from thin air. It you're taking a loan out on your energy levels on, on later's energy levels, and you're oh. going to repay that loan back. Yes. So, um, obviously this is a, a less pronounced feeling with less caffeine. So for me, yeah, I took it out for a month. Sometimes I'll go even longer and I feel really great without caffeine mm-hmm. after a certain period of time. And then when I try that cup of coffee, I have that insane euphoric rush yeah. that we all probably experienced with our first cup of coffee. Right. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, this is like, it makes me realize it. It makes me fall back in love with coffee and respect it as the drug that it is. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this is a really powerful drug, which you don't experience when you're drinking it first thing in the morning every day. Right. So, yeah. But that, I mean, that being said, I think, yeah, caffeine, too much coffee does make a lot of people feel crappy um but i do love coffee so it's about to me it's about like respecting that relationship yeah that's a huge takeaway for me 
I, I didn't because I thought caffeine was the drug that in your body uses that caffeine for energy. But what you're saying is, is that you're basically, yeah, borrowing that future energy. That's a that's a pretty key piece. Right yeah. There. I mean, we don't feel tired and shitty because of a caffeine deficit. Right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has a caffeine deficit. Yeah, fair enough. The Maasai aren't over there in Africa. Like, oh, we. The I'd feel better today if we just had access to more caffeine. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. And yet, this is like the starter pack for Ryan and I when we were in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. All of these things. I exercised very little because I was working so much. I was constantly snacking on ultra processed foods or eating meals with ultra processed mm-hmm. foods. I had poor posture. Uh, and the poor posture part was also like the the constant sedentary life mm-hmm. sitting all day, which is on here as well. Mm-hmm. Too much caffeine. Like I said, I was doing 20 cups of coffee a day. Sun and nature deprived. Well, part of that was we lived in Dayton, Ohio, and it was very cloudy all the time. <laughs> right. But there's tons of nature there. Yeah. But I was stuck in my car and cubicles and offices and stores and indoors under fluorescent lights. Mm-hmm. Of course, you feel crappy in an environment like that. Yeah. Not getting enough sun, not getting enough nature, and then not sleeping enough, staying up late, checking the BlackBerry right before going to bed. Now mm. it's the iPhone. Yeah. Right? Waking up first thing in the morning, checking social media, checking emails. And that's the next thing here. Social media being trapped on this loop of of dopamine hits. Yeah. And this is making us miserable. Mm-hmm. We have another tweet here from Max Lugavere. I'll hand this over to you. This has to do with um, eating out. <laughs> eating out less often and cooking at home more improves your life in profound ways, such as no exposure to rancid cooking oils, mm. fewer overall calories and sodium, no tempting bread basket, higher quality foods, you become a better cook, and you save money. Amen. All those things. Well, we talked about the rancid cooking oils. Yeah. We, I think, touched on the how cooking at home is a powerful leverage point for reducing the overall amount of calories um, in your diet. The bread basket. Oh. I mean, for me, the bread basket, when the bread basket comes, I if I if I have any of it, I'm gonna have all of it. Yes. I, yes. I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm Especially not it's good bread. So yeah. So like my uh like if my wife and I go out, she's she has the uh, gluten sensitivity, so she can't eat it. So uh a piece of me justifies it too when they bring the bread basket. And I'm like, well, if I ask him to take it back, then we're gonna be wasting bread. So I might as well have a piece. And then sure enough, it's like I'll have two pieces, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to waste any. And Mariah's not gonna eat any, so yeah. I'll just like f- finish it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. if they leave like a, a fresh soft butter on the table with oh, the bread. Oh. I'm going in on that. So yeah. by the time your dinner comes, you've already eaten 500 calories of bread and of butter. Just bread, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So I think the number one reason here, that, and I think it, it, this will sort of encompass everything you just talked about, by eating at home, you actually know what you're eating. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest difference. You can go to your favorite restaurant. I, I really enjoy Squirrel. Do you ever go to Squirrel over no. in East Hollywood? Oh, it's you my favorite, it favorite it's restaurant. Really? Uh, yeah. And it's like a brunch place. But even there, it's like, even though I trust them, I don't actually know what's going on back there. Hmm. I don't know how high quality their expeller pressed canola oil is versus mm-hmm. right. you know, maybe they actually snuck in some safflower oil today. Yeah. I, I, I don't know this, but at home, I, I generally know. Now, you have to avoid buying cheap versions of, say, olive oil, for example, or avocado oil, which can quite often be comprised or composed of a bunch of other seed oils, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure 
but ultimately what you're saying is, is absolutely true is that by cooking at home, you know what you're getting. What you see is what you get when you cook at home. And I love that. I, that's like yeah. one of my favorite aspects of cooking at home. I know exactly what I'm eating. I know exactly what I'm yeah. putting in my body. I feel like so frequently people just like willy nilly, like they'll just eat whatever is put in front of them and mm-hmm. like a Labrador, you know? Yeah. And I think like you owe it to yourself and your loved ones to be a little bit more discerning than that. Yeah. Mm. By the way, this is called our More About Less segment. We usually start the episode with this, but because we we reviewed all of the snacks beforehand, mm-hmm. I wanted to get to this though, because, well, here's, this sums up the biggest problem that we have. It's in this single tweet from Max Lugavere. It's about being <laughs> addicted to food. So oh God, Max, man. can you read this one for us? We are addicted to food. Here's how you break the cycle. Ditch the sugar. Minimize snacking between meals. Avoid white flowers and hyperpalatable foods. Eat more protein and don't fear fat. Reduce stress and eat slower. Mm. Walk us through each one of those. Yeah, so ditch the sugar. Um, usually foods with added sugar are these like ultra-processed foods that are that are addictive, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People say that sugar is addictive. It's not necessarily that sugar is addictive. It's that the foods that, that are... That, um, are made with added sugar are addictive. Mm. So, uh, also added sugar is a source of empty calories, no nutritional value, and no satiety effect. So you, you'll never tire of eating added sugar. It's mm. like the one of the major problems. Oh wow! Um, a big problem for most people is actually sugar sweetened beverages. There was a uh, which is what I have right here. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get to that. Well, no, hold on. You can <laughs> okay, talk okay. about it now. All right. So this is a graphic that I created. With the, in quotation marks, I don't eat much sugar. Because mm. a lot of people, I think, are walking around like, I don't eat much sugar. Right. It's not like I'm eating, you know, it's not like I'm eating candy, right? So how much sugar am I actually eating? Well, the, right. the, the major problem with added sugar in the modern food supply is that, is the insidious nature of it. That it's yeah. just everywhere, right? So here are some foods that I've listed that you wouldn't think have added sugar in it. And yet, yeah. they do. These are 12 fairly yeah. common regular foods that many people eat on a daily or regular basis. Yeah. So we have jam. Jam is sweet, but you shouldn't really need to add sugar to fruit, right? Fruit right. is nature's candy. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you'll get added sugar and jam. Yogurt, especially low fat and fat-free yogurts. Oh my goodness. Sometimes yogurt has more sugar than ice cream. Oh, yeah. Like that, I mean, that's insane. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I was Mariah and I were at a friend's house and his daughter was begging for some ice cream. And he's like, no, 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 like have some yogurt. And she like gets out one of the Yoplait's. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you might as well give her the ice cream. Wow. Yeah. I actually, you made me want to actually go and, and show that on an, in an Instagram post. <laughs> I think that would be really funny yeah. um, to do. So yogurt is a major one. Oftentimes you're going to get sugar with yogurt mm-hmm. as opposed to yogurt with a little bit of sugar. Um, I like to buy plain yogurt that's unsweetened greek yeah. yogurt and i'll add a little bit of stevia to it i've mm. got these like stevia drops that that's i like a good idea add. yeah or whole fruit add your own whole fruit to it yeah um sweet tea sugar sweetened beverages major problem mm-hmm. um globally in fact there was a study published in the journal circulation it was a mathematical model that found that almost two hundred thousand lives are lost every year globally due to the impact of sugar sweetened beverages alone Wow. And generally, that's you know a lot of sodas that we have. And, sodas, yeah. but also, and this is a major one: coffee drinks, like coffee beverages, oh, yeah. like like from Starbucks, coffee yeah. bean, whatever. I don't even think that because I only drink black coffee now. But same, yeah, yeah. yeah. That there's so ma- you're basically eating hot milkshakes. <laughs> Milkshake, yeah. yeah. 
milkshake. I remember, yeah, they like, start their morning with a milkshake with like dessert. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I need my coffee. It's like a bomb of like, you know, 300 milligrams of caffeine and fucking like 60, 60 grams of sugar. Like in your average, yeah. well, I don't know about average, but in like, in one of these like oversized Starbucks. Yeah. No, it just blows my mind how like anytime you, a- you ask for a flavor, you're just asking for pumps of syrup. Like that's yeah, pumps of sugar, sugar basically. Yeah. One thing you had on here that I thought was funny, Max, was uh, the ketchup. Dude, uh, I'm so guilty. This is why I love ketchup so much. Now it says <laughs> half cup equals 21 grams. And it, ironically, Ryan's actually drinking a half cup of ketchup right now. <laughs> it's down to a quarter cup. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when we think about these things, like, oh yeah, just a little bit of ketchup, but... No, there's there's a ton of sugar in. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You can get you can buy ketchup that doesn't have added sugar or it doesn't have a bunch of added sugar at least. Um, even salad dressings, instant oatmeal, yeah. coffee drinks, which you mentioned, a bunch of other you know things that we have here. Don't even think about yeah the packaged fruits. I mean, adding sugar to fruit. Yeah. It's insane. Pasta it sauces. Pasta sauces. Yeah. Added Soups. sugar. I mean, yeah. a, car- a caramelized tomato is going to be sweet enough. Um, right. That's the problem with with this. one of the major problems with the standard American diet is that they, they'll put sugar everywhere and it's, it's often disguised. So, I mean, sugar, it's pretty easy to sniff out the chemical names of sugars. They usually end in os. So, you know, dextrose, glucose, fructose, mm. sucrose. Okay. Um, but manufacturers know that consumers are now savvier than they had been in the past and that sugar is something that people are now more mindful of and so they'll disguise it under healthy sounding pseudonyms like agave syrup or brown rice syrup or mm. date syrup or organic cane juice yeah or <laughs> organic cane yeah. juice oh, yeah juice that's healthy it's for juice, me right? yeah of course right <laughs> wow. but well, it's just it's just deception left and right mm. what about the rest of this list here so we talked about ditching the sugar and minimizing this i don't do any sort of snacking the exception is on podcasting days like this where we'll do we just did the the taste test of the ghee and honey together that's mm-hmm. the the extent of my snacking mm. that i will do I, I i avoid snacks altogether just mm-hmm. because um as a formerly obese person I, one of the things that often made me obese and actually made me want to eat more was the constant snacking although mm. we're often told that well uh, to stoke your metabolic fire you want to eat four or five times throughout the day but that doesn't seem to be logically consistent to me it's also not scientifically uh accurate we we now know that it doesn't make a difference with regard to your metabolism how many times a day you eat in fact oh, wow. in fact people who eat more frequently over the course of the day tend to have higher bmis so they tend to be at higher risk of obesity yeah that's how i was i i, I tend to eat two meals a day now i have uh yeah whatever breakfast is sometimes like today it looks like it'll be about 2 p.m uh and then I'll, have, I'll have dinner right I'll, I'll have dinner at you know five five or six and that's it uh, i know some people who do omad one meal a day that seems to that's a bit excessive for me especially mm. from a digestive standpoint but i also find that allowing the peristalsis to work to give some time for my my digestive tract to actually move food through mm. it helps to take a longer break without snacks. My, my digestion feels better when I personally take breaks between meals. Mm. Yeah, in Genius Kitchen, I talk about um, what's called the migrating motor complex, which activates only after about 90 minutes of not eating. Um, and it's basically uh, considered a housekeeping wave that sweeps your stomach and small intestine free of debris, bacteria mm. that could otherwise accumulate there, 
dead epithelial surface cells. Um, and we subvert this natural, healthy um, rhythm every time we eat anything with any calorie content mm, mm. in it. So this constant snacking throughout the day could potentially set you up for SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which can cause all kinds of, you know, GI distress. Um, and it's just not very, not very natural. I mean, that system activates, obviously, of course, when we sleep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think this, this idea of allowing yourself four hours in mm. between meals, I mean, that's a pretty good, great for calorie control, great for supporting digestive health. Mm-hmm. No, for the most part, I mean, generally speaking, no downsides. Mm. Yeah. All right. Eat slower. Eat slower. Uh, that's a big one. First of all, digestion begins even before you take a bite. We have what's called the cephalic phase of digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, cephalic means head. So mm. just by just seeing the food and smelling the food, digestive juices start flowing. Mm. Then when you take your first bite, you've got enzymes in your saliva that break down starches, that begin to break down fats. Um, and so eating slow is a really... Um, I think important way to extract the most nutrition from your food. Mm. It's the way to get, it's, it's a way to get the most bang for your buck in terms of if you're, if you're spending money on higher quality ingredients, you want to be able to reap the maximal nutritional benefit from those foods that you're, that you're spending that extra money on. Right. So, but it's also important for satiety. So breaking the addiction to food, because we know that there are certain hunger hormones in the gut that respond to the presence of food in the stomach but that there's a delay, that it's not an instantaneous communication between the gut and the brain. Yeah. And the brain is ultimately what controls our food intake. Yeah. So you want to eat slow so that your brain has a chance to, to fully register the fact that you're actually eating. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next thing on the list there? We had reduced stress. Reduced stress. Easier said than done. <laughs> Easier said than done. Well, people, people stress eat today. They're underslept, which we talked about. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, stress eating and also eating out of boredom. I think is a major yeah. problem, especially over the past two years, right? Yeah. Like with work from home orders, a lot of people were spending more time than ever before in proximity to their kitchen, mm-hmm. which has led to uh, an increase in snacking. I mean, we've seen people, uh, statistically, people have gained weight over the past two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think stress plays a plays a major role in that. And yeah. so for me, it's, it's better to not uh, try to self-treat your stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it happens to be with food, but to find other ways, other more productive ways of mitigating that stress, whether yeah. it's meditation or picking up a musical instrument or yeah, going on a walk. Yeah, I mean, man, be. I just, this might not be the most minimalist thing, but I just bought an Oculus too. Mm. Those <laughs> things are freaking fun. <laughs> and, uh, and dude, you can have like, I had one of the best cardio work and most fun cardio workouts I've ever had yeah. wearing this thing and playing the boxing game. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Or uh yeah. Great stress release mechanism. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And and there are ways to do that for free as well. I mean, we yes. we just talked about this last week with Aaron Alexander, but how the sedentary body creates a restless mind. Mm. And we call it stress eating and and then of course when we eat 
under stressful conditions, we don't make the best decisions with respect to the calories. We, we start eating all these other things that you're saying, hey, ditch the sugar, minimize the snacking, minimize these these processed foods or the, the hyper palatable foods. And then the last thing here on the list, you have eat more protein and don't be afraid of fat. Mm. Touch on that real quick. Yeah. So the reason why I say eat more protein is that protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So more so than carbs and fat, if you're hungry, protein is really what you should look for in your food Mm. to end that hunger pang. Interesting. Essentially. Mm. And ironically, when you look at packaged processed foods, the kinds of foods that we are prone to overconsuming, the kinds of foods that are prone to driving addiction, they're all depleted of protein. Mm. They have no protein. They, they tend to be some some combination of carbs and fat, essentially. Well, yeah. If you look at any of these, there's more carbs, there's more fat than there is protein. Mm. I mean, some of them, like this has 12 grams of protein, but... Just holding up one of these, these p- these protein bars. Power yeah. crunch bars, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's protein-containing foods that, um, that are really the most adept at turning off those hunger signals. signals. Mm. In fact... Um, we believe that hunger is driven for the most part by our necessity for protein, which is an essential nutrient, and also the micronutrients that are typically contained in high-protein foods. It's called the protein leverage hypothesis. Hmm. It's, uh, I mean, for one, there are there are hormones that protein shuts off when we ingest it. So, yeah. Um, eat more protein. Foods like beef jerky, you've got, you know, canned fish over here is a great option. Um, you've got your beef, beef sticks, Greek yogurt, hard boiled, hard boiled eggs, whatever, whatever is your protein preference. I mean, high quality, ideally, high quality, yeah. yeah, ideally, um, the highest quality protein is going to come from animal products, bar none. It's the most digestible. It's the most concentrated in terms of essential amino acids. Um, so yeah, so I would, I would prioritize protein. And then the reason why fat is satiating because it slows gastric emptying. So it slows the passage of, of contents from the stomach to the small intestine. Mm. Um, so if you're eating a low fat diet, you are just, you're, di- you're digesting your food much more quickly. Right. Fat, we need fat. It slows digestion. It makes important fat soluble nutrients bioavailable to us, like vitamins A, E, D, and K, among myriad uh, phytochemicals that are also found in plants that we know are beneficial. You don't absorb them without the presence of fat. So, um, so yeah, so don't fear fat. I'm not a big advocate of overdoing the fat as I think you guys probably have picked up. Like I'm not a big, you know, let's just put like butter on everything kind of kind of advocate because um, that can have some downsides too, right? Because yeah. fat is very calorie dense. It's it's not super nutrient dense. I mean, um, there are more nutrient dense foods than a stick of butter, obviously. <laughs> right. But, um, but those are just two, I think, really useful tools. Like think about protein. Think about if you're hungry, you want a snack, think about something that's going to have more protein in it. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's helpful. You know, I think we uh, let's end this by turning over to the live stream. I know we have a few questions here. Let's do a little lightning round on the Patreon live stream questions. Get some good ones for us here, in Alabama. All right. First one is going to be from Georgia. How do I keep fresh fruits and veggies from spoiling so fast? Mm. Eat them. I anytime I have <laughs> yeah right anytime I have like an apple going bad or an avocado I stick it in the refrigerator and it does seem to like slow it down a little bit from like 
going bad. I don't know if that's a good tip or not, but Max has some great tips on this. Although my mom used to call the crisper in the fridge, she used to call it the vegetable rotter, rotter, oh God. <laughs> because that's essentially where the vegetables would go to die. It was like the graveyard for the vegetables. And then a week later, you just throw them all out. Mm. And that's what, who asked this question? Georgia. Yeah. So Georgia is asking this question. Now, Max, you actually share some tips on your Instagram about, yeah. about keeping the, these types of foods much... Uh, Minimizing food waste. Yeah. I share... I took all of my best tips and I put them in Genius Kitchen. Mm. Um, nice. But essentially, yeah. Putting foods in the fridge, I mean, that's like a no-brainer yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. You can also use uh, lemon. Lemon is a, is a great ingredient, rich in, in oh, yeah. and, and, and antioxidant vitamin C. Yeah. Do that on top of some guacamole to keep it from spoiling. Keep it from yeah, spoiling. Going around. Yeah, it's a yeah. natural, natural food preservative right there. Mm. Awesome. What else we got? Next one is from Stephanie. What are Max's thoughts on ceramic coated nonstick pans? Ooh. Um, I think some of them are okay. The nonstick brand that I referenced earlier, I think, is probably ceramic coated. Um, so yeah, so I'm what brand was that? I don't think we actually said the brand. We didn't say the brand. Yeah, it was Green Pan. Okay. Mm. I they allege that they're it's PFAS free. Uh-huh. Um, and I have no affiliation with them. So, you know, it's not like I want to promote a brand and then people go and buy it and then we find out 10 years from now that they were using some other worse chemical. Yeah. yeah. Um, so be careful. Yeah, but they they say that it's a it's ceramic based, that they don't use any of these endocrine disrupting compounds in it. Um, and so I'll use it uh, occasionally for like, for eggs and scrambles and things mm. like that. Nice. Let's nice. do one more. One more from Bro Beans. When is it best to take vitamin supplements and which vitamins are most people deficient in? Wow. Um, when is the best time to take? Like, do you take it with food? Like with yeah. food take it before you eat? Some you want to mm-hmm. take with food and some you want to take... Um, I mean, I think all are, are absorbed better on uh, with food. Yeah. Um, yeah, because certain water-soluble vitamins like vitamin B12, for example, you wouldn't say take with food because it needs fat to be absorbed, but on the other hand, it requires stomach acid oh, okay. to be absorbed. So okay. generally, you want to take... You're better suited taking everything pretty much in terms of vitamins and minerals uh, with food. Okay. There are certain compounds that are more bioavailable on an empty stomach, like N-acetylcysteine, which is a precursor to glutathione that that some people take, mm. just to, as an example. Um, but you want to take generally with with food so that there's stomach acid, so that you've got fats in your stomach, so that they, they don't upset your stomach. Mm. Um, and with regard to vitamins that and minerals that people tend to be deficient in. Um, I mean, a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutrients that are found in animal products tend to be, people tend to be deficient in um, more. So, I mean, I think I mentioned iron deficiency is pretty common. People typically don't consume enough zinc. Mm. 90% of Americans are deficient in at least one essential nutrient. Wow. So, yeah. So, there's a, there are a lot of nutrients that people aren't getting. I mean, mm-hmm. choline is a conditionally essential B vitamin that's important for brain health that I talk about all the time. And 90% of people don't consume adequate choline. Mm. Um, magnesium is really important. 50% of people don't consume adequate magnesium. Yeah, uh, Magnesium is really important. It's used in hundreds of processes in the body that range from energy creation to DNA repair. So mm. if you're low energy, if you're not sleeping well, if you're prone to anxiety, depression, if you are concerned about aging well magnesium is like this all-in-one amazing mineral um that i mean i take magnesium yeah it's yeah i do too it it seems that uh 
the best way for someone to find out what they're deficient in is like they would have to go get like some type of blood test or something because depending on where you live, what your diet is, everyone's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, like I learned well I had said. a, yeah, I, I agree with that. I learned like I had a vitamin D deficiency just because I went and got some blood work done. And, um, and also, uh, there's something, I forget what it was, uh, there where I needed to take more zinc, but otherwise, um, if I listened to people who were like, well, here's the number one vitamin you should absolutely take. I, there would be 30 of those because everyone's, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to have a different opinion. I remember one time I was doing that where it was like, someone told me, I, uh, I would take vitamin C if, th- if that's the only thing I ever took, or I take zinc if that's the only thing I ever took, I took vitamin D or magnesium. We literally it, looking for the magic pill. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there was 30 the magic pills that I was taking on a regular basis. I mean, I don't anymore, but yeah. It, um, yeah, no, you're right. There is no one size fits all supplement regimen and blood work can be helpful. Mm. Certain, certain minerals, um, and vitamins are not, you won't find deficiencies on labs. For example, magnesium, there's no lab to, to test magnesium levels mm. because it's not, there's very little in the blood. It's usually sequestered in bones and intracellularly. Hmm. Um, so magnesium is one of those things that I think most people probably are are better off taking mm-hmm. um, supplementally. I think fish oil is one of those that like most people would probably do well with a good high quality fish oil. Um, so it's not it's not many, uh, but yeah, you really do have to do blood work to see. Yeah, and and you can get. I think it's important to note, and I think this is the more minimalist approach. You can get most of these nutrients without supplementing you can actually get it from your foods you just have to be deliberate so uh, a lot of people are deficient in vitamin a which can Mm -hmm. be found in liver right yeah for example source of vitamin a there you go um and then all of the the nutrients that are available in an egg yolk for example um you know that that you most of us are deficient in in a lot of those those nutrients or even uh we we try to eat like beta carotene and, mm. and say it's vitamin A, but it's a little, not everyone can, can process it the same way. And, and so it's really about understanding your body and then understanding what you put in your body, because if you're deficient in, in any of these things, then yes, you can get it through a supplement. Now, how bioavailable is it in the supplement? Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm. but it's much more bioavailable if you actually eat it in the food you're yeah. consuming. Absolutely. And particularly uh, when eating animal products, yeah, which is uh, the most bioavailable sources of all of the vitamins and minerals um, that they contain, mm. because it's our own operating system that you're ingesting. Essentially, plants have a completely different operating system. Beta carotene is something that we've had to evolve the ability to convert to uh, retinol, and not everybody does this effectively. Which is especially um, kids, don't especially kids. Yeah, I uh, my friend Chris Masterjohn, he's a nutrition PhD, and he's written a lot about. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's great. I don't know him, but yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Um, and, and it becomes so overwhelming, but then you realize what is the most minimalist approach. We look at for the modern problems. We actually look at ancient solutions. Mm, yeah. There isn't a single person in the Hadza who's worried about their vitamin A intake. They don't know what vitamin A is. Mm. They're not worried about choline and cysteine and creatine and and vitamin K2 versus converting vitamin K1 from kale or what. Mm-hmm. They don't 
care about that, right? Mm, These are right. just fancy words because we're so deficient. We wouldn't even be talking about these things if we weren't deficient in them. Right. Yeah. Max, I want to encourage folks to check out your new book. It's Heck called yeah. Genius Kitchen. We've got 300 pages of recipes, nutritional, health advice, and it is a great summary of your work today. They can also mm. check out your podcast. It's called Genius Life. We'll put a link to those in the show notes. And of course, Follow him on Instagram and Twitter for all of these uh, great tweets and, um, well, a better, deeper understanding of what you're putting in your body. Yeah. Max, thank you so much, brother. Thank, thank you, you, Joshua. Thank you, Ryan. You're awesome, man. Yeah, dude, this was great. Awesome. Love it. All right, patrons, live stream. Thank you so much. Love people. Use things. We'll see you soon. See ya. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it